This is Alexander Savig and you are listening to Start End Podcast. I think our listeners who are here just for the TV show should not uh, should not leave because you know actually there's these novels. That's true. That are pretty pretty fun. They have their own charms. And in addition to which, even if you don't like hearing about the novels, if you stop listening to the podcast, we will come hunt you down. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Season 4 of Star's End, the podcast dedicated to Isaac Asimov's classic sci-fi series Foundation. I'm John and together with my co-hosts Stan and Joseph, we'll be watching and talking about Season 2 of Apple TV's Foundation series, episode by episode. We're glad you've decided to join us. Welcome to episode 12 of season four of the Stars End podcast. The second season of the TV show is behind us. And today we're going to talk about our overall impressions and, and feelings about season two of the Foundation, uh, Foundation TV show on Apple+. Plus. We're also going to talk, I think, at the end of the episode a little bit about our second not really annual Harry Awards and what the categories and potentially what the nominees are and how you can get involved in voting or your favorite character or scene or whatever it is that we put up as categories. But first, Joseph, um, we're going to go through some, what would we call it, like listener mail that we've got? Um, some, yeah, some or, comments, star, or, or the Star's End mailbag, maybe. The Star's End mailbag, great. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah taking, taking from Letterman's CBS mailbag. I'm picturing the scene in uh, Miracle on 34th Street where, you know, they bring in all the mail for Santa Claus. And it just like <laughs> fills up the entire courtroom with with bags and bags of mail. So I'm, I'm imagining that's what our mailbag is like. Yeah, well, you, you, <laughs> <laughs> right right now you've got the beard and I've got the belly. So it's <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen my my dad, who is still alive, uh, by the way, who had a very similar white beard to mine. And, you know, you take him to restaurants and there was always a little kid there like staring at him like. Santa Claus. Oh <laughs> nice. I have not yet had that reaction, but let's let's go to the mailbag and and uh, and see what we've got. Oh, okay, so let's see. Here's a, here's a nice comment from uh, Jonathan Moore. He's commented on on the website a couple times, but the most recent one was, "I thoroughly enjoyed your podcast once again, and I must say, Morgan was an excellent guest who made a fantastic addition and contribution to the show. Great job." That's nice. That well, was thank nice. you, Jonathan. Obviously yeah. a very intelligent and discerning person. Yeah. Indeed. And I, I agree that uh, Morgan was a great guest. Morgan, yes, both times that, yeah. that she's been Yeah, on. very much so. Gentleman named, uh, okay, the, the username is Scott Saul, and it commented a number of times. Once, this is back in season three, our, our moon is more exceptional than you think. Um, so, I mean, he's uh, clearly paying quite pay, paying a lot of attention. Here's one. What Asimov's universe, Goyer's universe is more Herbert than Asimov with some avatar thrown in, which is funny. I don't get the joke. I'm not sure I do either. <laughs> it was more Herbert than Asimov with some uh, with some avatar thrown in. I mean, there's definitely been some kind of Dune adjacent stuff going on for sure that I've pointed out or we've all pointed out in the past. I'm not sure where the avatar stuff is. I'll have to think about that one. Well, maybe with the spacers. Eh, Although, honestly, this, this, this might predate the uh, that might predate the um, the season. Well, we d we did see spacers as far back as season one. Fair enough. Just a little bit. Let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. So here's a comment, and I've got a couple of a uh, couple of comments from Rick, who of course was on the show as a guest. I really enjoyed your season finale show, and very much looking forward to your season overview. I'm curious what y'all might think about something I've been wrestling with. While I truly enjoy the show and will be bummed if we don't get another season, I can't help thinking that Goyer wanted to do a SF series but needed a hook to get it picked up. So he hung his story on the bones of foundations. Does this series work if you scrub the foundation trappings out of it? I kind of think it does. 
Yeah. So I, I think it, I think it works divorced from the books. It probably works better divorced from the books than if you try to keep it, it in line with the books at the same time, like there's enough of the bones of the books in the show that I don't think that this is just Goyer had an idea for like a, a sci-fi series that he wanted to bring in this IP, which also like, it doesn't make sense to me business wise. Why would you, why would you pay for an IP that you don't want to really use? Like I, so I, I, I think he really started from the foundation and then adapted it loosely, let's say. So, yeah, I, 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 although I do think there is a reason for buying an IP, which is that you think that you have a built-in audience. You know, oh, you're doing foundation. Well, we we we're really interested in that. I mean, we started this podcast without really knowing what the show was going to be like. Yeah. So, to some extent, that's what that IP does for you. Mm. Uh, one of the things I'm going to want to talk about later on is one of the main themes of this whole story for the for both seasons. And I don't think I'm bringing anything new when I say that it is about the concept of control, personal control, personal personhood, who is in control, who is, who is, it's really kind of a, a, not just free will, but more like, what is a person who is free and how are they free? And it keeps coming up over and over and over again. And I think that the foundation story and the concept of psychohistory is very well suited to that because it asks those questions about personal freedom, group freedom, who has it, who doesn't, and 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 how. So I I think that it's if Goyer had an idea separate from Foundation, Foundation was particularly well suited to hang that that kind of theme on, to be long-winded about it. Yeah, indeed. I mean I think he might have done that. I mean, because there's enough original stuff like the the tripartite empire uh, emperor that is is new and fresh and interesting. I don't think that there's enough there without the foundation stuff i think it, it easily could have been part of a series that all of that stuff could easily have made, made quite a compelling series if they didn't have the it, it didn't have the ip but it would need additional stuff added into it if that makes yeah. sense now whether or not i would be watching it I, I i don't know well that's again that's the thing that's why you buy the ip right is to is to get us interested in watching the show yeah, and and uh, <laughs> our and we can now say hundreds of listeners, right? We, and our hundreds of we're, we're promoting the thing to our hundreds of listeners. Hundreds. Well, hundreds. because yeah, because we've we've uh, now in a couple of weeks are showing an audience that's larger than two hundred, so hundreds. Hundreds. I, I insisted on saying you know tens until we got to over two hundred. <laughs> well, I hope that that persists past the end of the season. I know that last time we had a bit of a fall off at the end of season one. And then it had picked up again here for season two of the TV show, which I, you know, that's fine. I understand this is, this is a podcast about the TV show. It's a little bit, maybe it's a little bit harder to listen to when there isn't a TV show. Although I, I personally love our content and yeah. listen to it several times, but I, I love our content too. And I think our listeners who are here just for the TV show should not, uh, should not leave because, you know, actually there's these novels that's true that are pretty pretty fun they have their own charms and in addition to which even if you don't like hearing about the novels if you stop listening to the podcast we will come hunt you down <laughs> it's in our programming like demersel we don't have a yeah, choice exactly we have to do it you know all these the podcast streaming services give us lots of metadata on each of you we know <laughs> We know your exact geolocation, <laughs> every single one of you. Okay, disclaimer, no, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But we can pretend. All right, so actually, John, you said something that reminded me of another comment. I'm not going not to say who this is from, but um, someone was asking, what's the point of the show? What's what's the show trying to say? And I, I, I mentioned the, you know, the, the psychohistory and trying to, you know, trying to limit the darkness right limit limit the 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 the, the period and then the, and this person was like well yeah i can see that in the books but i really don't see it so much in the tv show so is your answer to rick possibly an answer to that yeah i do because i think that that's larger than limiting the darkness 
although that is part That's of the, the show and the and the religion. You know, it's a bigger question for everyone. And it's all tied up in, you know, how does history operate? Can we influence the future? Could such a thing as the Selden plan really exist? And what does that imply for the question of who is free and what kind of freedom do they have? And I think that it comes up very often in the show. And I think to me, that's the kind of philosophical theme of the show. Is that an examination of that? You know, what I, what I always like to say about science fiction is you know, like, what's the point of science fiction? And to me, the point as literature, the point of science fiction is to be able to ask questions that are more difficult to ask in a more conventional environment. And so you can have a robot and you can ask, what, what does that imply for the kind of humanity of that person? What about the, the clones, the Cleon clones, even the concept of psychohistory? You know, these are things that none of these things exist, but we can examine real questions about ourselves through these science fiction concepts. To me, that's what good science fiction does. And so I think that's what this show is doing. Oh, yeah. And I mean, you make me think there, you make me think of the measure, the measure of a man. You make me think of Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. The two Star Trek episodes. You also remind me of a of a Arthur C. Clarke quote, Clark quote, where I think he was I think he was particularly talking about Jonathan Swift and, or at least him and, and writers of that area, where he said, "Well, you know, if these writers hadn't set their stories or their their commentary on imaginary planets and far off worlds, then they would be going to very real jails." Yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that one thing about good fiction, whether it's TV fiction or 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 a novel form or whatever, it it often, maybe more often than not, doesn't have a single like point that it reduces to, like a a moral of the story. Instead, it you know, good fiction tends to dramatize certain conundra. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what you just said before, John, about this, this really getting at the tension between freedom and constraint, right, or what belongs to the individual versus what what is, um, you know, constrained by our, our social context and the, the society in which we live, like, that's a clear that is a clear theme which is being dramatized in in many across many different strands of this story. So that's one thing that I'm at least I'm greatly enjoying. I don't think that it has a moral that we can clearly point to, but but that's not what I'm looking for. No, I agree with you. I don't think it has a moral and I think that it, you know, it's going to examine the question from a bunch of different angles, but it's not going to tell us what the right answer is. Yeah, for sure. The other thing of course about good fiction or, or drama is that it's entertaining. And we know what we have here is a show, which I think we know we've talked about all this before, where the actors are doing an amazing job. The writing is great. The special effects are extremely good. The whole thing captivates you as a story and also has these kind of literary side to it as well. But it, you know, it, it, it works really well as a, as a piece of entertainment, which is important. And and so I think it works on a lot of different levels. Ugh, my 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 high school English teachers would would hate that I use the word levels, <laughs> but it does. It works in a, in a lot of different ways. And and you know if it, if if we didn't have performances by Lee Pace and and Laura Byrne and and um, Jared Harris and and all the you know the cast, you know we wouldn't get to those messages. We would we would just not bother. And so we have a. I think a really a great piece of entertainment that also has some depth to it. Now, whether that could have been done without foundation, I, I it, it, possibly, very yeah. possibly. Yeah, but we could have gotten sold without foundation. That's a side question. Well, that is an important question, right? The practical question of could could they have sold it? I mean, other science fiction has gotten made. Yeah. But it's got to be just that one level more difficult. Oop, level, one yeah. level more difficult to to convince the money people to pay for it yeah, if it doesn't know. have that hook. Although the big thing I, I think of in the near past is the Expanse, and of course that was you know that's a series of novels that that was an independent IP on its own. It was. It did have the advantage that one of the two writers who make up James S. A. Corey was George R. R. Martin's assistant. And so it does have that kind of imprimatur of George R. R. Martin on it, which, you know, 
George R. R. Martin has made a lot of money for various yeah. studios, especially with Game of Thrones. And if you read the books, have you read the Expanse books? I'm not. So I've George R. R. Martin's style, if you read any of the Game of Thrones books, is that each chapter is from the point of view of a different character. Hmm. And the Expanse books follow the same trope where the chapters vary between various different points of view of different characters. So there's definitely a George R.R. R. Martin connection there. Now, having said that, and I know I've said this many times, The Expanse is an unbelievably great TV show. And so I don't mean to say, oh, you know, the Nepo right. babies, but maybe that helped. Yeah. You never know. I mean, when Melinda Snodgrass told us that, you know, she got a big plug from George R.R. R. Martin, which really started her TV writing career. Yeah, and so. I think that, yeah, and that, that, help turn Star Trek Next Generation into the show that we love. I agree. And, and, and for that matter, might be responsible because if if that show had continued the way it had for the first two seasons, or at least the first season, we might not have any of these other spinoffs. That is certainly true. All right. Do we have anything else in the mailbag or should we move on? Well, to- uh, not in the mailbag, but I, I talked to Andy and, and he, he said hello. He's finished the Caves of Steel, so he's like two two books in. But he's also he also watched the first episode of season one. Is enjoying it and wanted us to know that there was at least one other place where Gail was naive because she told a stranger on the spaceship, and this is Gerald. Gerald, oh, you know, I'm working for Harry Selden. He says that was very naive. In addition to the thing that we pointed out, so and that's straight out of the original. That is true. Linking story that Asimov wrote. That is to true. Link the short stories together. The the naivete of Gail even though it's a completely different Gale and, and everything. You know, there was there was some, somebody floated the idea that Gerald could be Daniil. Hmm. And I just what? thought about that. Wow. Yeah, you know. And then we see Gerald again, right? When we see young Harry. Yeah. Gerald is there as the spy. Gerald did not age at all between young Harry and Gale showing up. Hmm. That's yeah, that's true. <laughs> Maybe there's a separate pickle jar. I guess they couldn't <laughs> afford they couldn't afford a, a quaff for him the way they did. For yeah, they, they only had one one uh, Beatles wig to go around. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've really we've allowed this to bring us into our a discussion of the of the of the season and the and the show. But why don't we go ahead and just continue that and talk about our feelings about the season? Okay, I like being, that. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, I liked but, it too. Okay. Being, <laughs> Thanks. <yeah. Good> night. <laughs> being, being, being flipped for a second, we didn't yeah. get doors. One star. That's true. We did not get doors. I don't think we're going to get doors. I think we've got yeah. Yana and... Yeah. I think Yana's right. a robot. We're not getting doors. I, I like Yana. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like if, if Yana is our stepmom instead of doors, <laughs> like she's a pretty good stepmom. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. I mean, to, to look at that hair and still fall in love with Harry... All right. So let me put a, a fundamental question to you, which is I'm rewatching, like, I don't know what, I don't know what's going on with the overall plot arc, right? Which it makes sense going through the first time episode by episode and you're being led in a certain direction and so on. Pulling back, rewatching, thinking about the series as a whole, you know, at the end, we get the the vault saving everyone. This was the plan the whole time. Sacrifice Termina, save the people. And, you know, supposedly, you know, however he had calculated that this would happen. But the way we get there is through the most outrageous coincidence, right? Because we know we needed Hober Mallow to get the spacers to run this kind of program of jumping the ships into each other. And that's the way the Imperial fleet is destroyed. The way that Hober Mallow is called is through they, uh, through Salvor having this kind of like time traveling mind link mm-hmm. with him. The, and the way... Salvor knows about Hober Mallow is because Gail heard the name Hober Mallow in her vision of the future from the mule happening to reference 
Hober Mallow as the person who pierced the hide of the empire. So if you connect the dots, it seems yeah. like this, this whole plot arc is the most tenuous thread of coincidences that okay. kind of defeated the empire. But at the time, in this conclusion, you know, this is or this is presented to us as, you know, that that was the plan all along. Well, two separate things there, but I mean, is it just a classic bootstrap paradox? I don't yes, know. It is a classic bootstrap paradox, and I have a distaste for time travel stories exactly for exactly this reason. Probably my favorite time travel story is All You Zombies by Robert A. Heinlein, in which he takes these ridiculous time travel paradoxes to their absolute insane conclusion. And I highly recommend that um, that anyone read that story because it, it really pricks the hide of the time travel story. So yeah. I, don't, I don't love those bootstrap coincidence things. They irritate me. And plus, you know, once you've seen them done, like how many times more do you need to see them done again? On the other hand, so to, to answer your question, I, I think there is a constant tension here between psychohistory and the quote unquote great man theory, which was present in the original novels. Asimov never really seemed to be able to kind of fall on one side or the other of what he really thought about it. And this show is doing the same thing. Yeah, there's a plan. But as you say, there's these ridiculous coincidences. There's there's the uh, the Invictus. Now, Harry claims that he planned for the Invictus to come to Terminus, but it only got there by, you know, by Salvor and the whole thing with Farah and getting out there and, and then Lewis deciding to sacrifice himself and miraculously being able to do it. How all of that could have been predicted by psychohistory, I mean. Yeah. No, because it's crazy. individual after individual after individual. Psychohistory's right. got to deal with huge numbers. Now, the Hober Mallow thing, I think they actually address in the show. Okay. Where Salvor says to Harry, to Voltari, hey, by the way, you should know Hober Mallow's important. And he's like, oh, don't tell me, don't tell me that kind of stuff. And she's like, well, I'm an outlier, so I get to do that. And then Harry gets to decide whether to use it or not. And of course, he makes that comment about if you can't, if the left hand can't put its thumb on the scale, what's the point of having a thumb? And he decides to use the Hober Mallow thing. But I think there's a strong implication that the plan was the plan anyway, with or without Hober Mallow. And that Harry just kind of went, yeah, okay, I'll use that. You know, why not? It, it'll help the plan. And of course, the presence of Vault Harry and hologram slash flesh and blood Harry is an acknowledgement that the plan is not able to run on its own. Mm -hmm. And it needs a little nudging here and there from various people. So anyway, I've been going on a bit, but yes, the show can't make up its mind. Yeah, I'm kind of okay with that in a meta way because Asimov couldn't make up his mind. Fair enough. Let me ask it just a follow-up question. If you remember back to, I think it's episode one, Gail and Salvor are sitting uh, around bonding mother-daughter. They open up the prime radiate and Gail is like, oh, look at that. No, the plan is off course. Do you think that by the end, that by the season finale, that the plan is now back on course? Well, I'm pretty sure on the, the final episode we we see gail looking at the prime radiant and we still see the ugly red you know the ugly red path yeah yeah so uh, i think i think we're maybe on our way to fixing it but right and we were told at the beginning that the crisis that was important was not the current crisis not the war with the empire mm -hmm. which was pretty well gonna go well and that's why they didn't interfere in it but that the big crisis was the mule yeah and so both of those things, if you really press on them, both of those things are very true to the original story, right? Mm -hmm. the, the war with the Empire absolutely went the way psychohistory said it was going to go. Again, you know, as I like to say, you know, Bell Rios had no, he had no out. No matter what he chose to do, he was going to lose. And it was psychohistory, it's the forces of psychohistory that were going to, that were going to determine that. And we kind of see, you know, Fault Harry pretty confident of that. So that that's one thing. The other one is, of course, the mule is the big crisis that nearly is the downfall of the plan, and that's very true to the to the books as well. Well, it, it's true to the books plot wise, although it's not it, the mule isn't really a Selden crisis, right? Right. It, the 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 Selden crisis, the mule replaced a Selden crisis, which would have yeah. been like economic stratification or something like this, right? But. But yeah, I mean, in terms of just where the plot goes, sure. Yeah. I mean, this concept of foreknowledge and time travel, yeah. 
was not present in yeah, yeah, the books yeah, at all. Yeah. And so, you know, having having the knowledge and, and of course, the prime radiant is very, very good at knowing what's going on in the world. And uh, we've talked about its ability to get updates much better right. than Microsoft. It, that it, it, prime it, radiant is a smarty <laughs> pants, man. Well, as Joseph pointed out, I think in our last episode, they they kind of teased the Prime Radiant as becoming sentient yep. and then dropped it. We haven't yep. heard another word out of the Prime Radiant since then. Yes, this what was that episode three where they gave Harry a body and we don't have a good explanation for that yet. We do not. Yeah. And OK, so Callie, I rewatched that episode. One thing I really noticed was that there was a, a nice lingering shot of Kelly and Gail shaking hands physically so that we know that this Kelly is, if she's the same Kelly that showed up in the prime radiant, somehow she got a body too. Other than that, like it's, it's sort of like one of those mysteries that it's like, you think maybe in a future season, this is scheduled to be resolved, <laughs> but I don't, I, I have no clue of what that was about still. I mean, there are questions from episode, from season one that have not been answered, like yeah. about the the Star Bridge. The Star Bridge. Who brought down the Star Bridge? And I still I still say that it was such an enormous event that it if it wasn't factored into the plan, it would have destroyed the plan. And that really points the finger at Harry. Yeah. And we don't know what Harry's prior relationship with Demersel might be. Certainly the books, they have one. Do they have one here? Well, we don't know. We didn't see in the flashback of Harry's life, we did not see Demersel. You don't think that, I mean, because psychohistory probably wouldn't have predicted the 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 fall of the... Um... It's, it's not about the prediction. It's about the fact that what the plan is, is a set of initial conditions right. that change things the way they're going in the future. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that the Starbridge falling and killing 100 million people and leading to the genocide on on Anacreon and Thespis right next door to Terminus, those things are enormous initial conditions. Right. And if Harry didn't intend yeah. for those things to happen, then they should have sent the plan spiraling off into space. So even, even, even if he knew that... The, okay, even if psychohistory was predicting some huge event like that without specifically predicting the fall of the uh the space tower star bridge yeah star bridge. I, mean, I, I i mean i guess i mean at the trial harry talked about how some big event might happen in, you know at some point in time and then this happened immediately after he said that i don't know i, I i'm still stuck with the idea that you know what harry harry's trying to make little manipulations in the present in order to affect the future well it's the way it's supposed to work but then you have these enormous things happening in the, to change the whole nature of the present. So any yeah. little manipulations to me seems like they would get wiped out by events that huge. Oh yeah, I mean that makes sense because I mean early on, back in our season one, we're talking about the, the nature of psychohistory, and then and we you know we get into chaos theory, and there's that whole thing with the the you know just rounding the initial conditions throws throws that that one weather model completely off, right. Yeah, which is why they yeah, which is why they came up with the butterf- the butterfly metaphor, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's. Um, I wish I knew more about that. Th- those branches of math where they they try to do predictions, and have a and had a better idea what the limitations are. Well, there must be huge limitations. Yes, well, I mean, I think that's one of the points of chaos theory. Yeah, I got into a big argument on Twitter once with somebody about what was unknowable. And and the, the the conversation really got down to quantum mechanics, where I put forward the idea that, you know, we have this desire to know what's really going on behind. Like if we could just open the hood and look inside, we would see what's really going on. And what I said was, quantum mechanics tells us that there's a point beyond which that question is meaningless, mm-hmm. where there is no what's really going on. There's just experiments and their results. You know, there are outcomes of, of observations. And this person had a, you know, they were like, oh, well, you just, you've just given up on science because science can always go down another level. And I was trying to say, you know, there is a point where you just can't go down. I mean, science is telling you, unless there's a new theory, we just can't go down another level. It's not because I've given up on science. It's because that's what science tells us. And, and chaos theory is similar mm-hmm. in that there is a point 
beyond which we simply cannot measure the initial conditions, which are going to have an effect on our outcomes down the road. And there's just simply no way we can do better. There are things that are impossible and, and people have a hard time understanding that, but it, you know, that's what the science tells us that person and I no longer speak. <laughs> okay. that, that's wait, a shame. Wait, this, an, an argument on Twitter resulted in a, a breaking of an first time first time that's ever happened i, I know yeah, yeah. well good, good good thing we got rid of that God. thing huh all right <laughs> we just x'd it all out Ooh, i, uh, I see what you did there okay we can delete that that was a terrible joke <laughs> but you, you know my secret to being funny is volume <laughs> You say you say you say enough stupid stuff. Eventually, something's funny. Oh, I thought you meant loud. Enough. Oh, that too. We say it loud enough. People eventually. Why did the chicken cross the road? <laughs> He's just going to the ear doctor, apparently. So I think, in in story terms, like one of the biggest things that we got this season was the development of Demerzel as a character. Mm, yeah, and some insight into Demerzel's past and some insight into Demerzel's motivations, but not complete insight into either of those things. I, I feel like if we get a season three, we are going to get at least one more Demerzel flashback episode that will that will fill, that, fill her out more. Yeah, at least Mor I'm hoping. Well, was it Morgan that was talking about, or yeah. maybe it was that, maybe it was that, um, maybe it was that, that article that had that, that, um, you know that little scene that they didn't have the money to do at the bottom of it where Gore Goyer is talking about a bunch of stuff it's, it seems like I heard of Goyer saying oh no yeah we're going to keep going farther and farther back and getting more and more I mean assuming we get more more. Um, I think that's right I think he, he has said that we're going to get more Demerzel backstory I mean we know like we've been dropping hints about Earth since mm -hmm. since season early season one and there, we've gotten hints about other robots that might be, uh, you know, in the background doing this or that. I There is certainly more story to be told that, that we're... Yeah. I mean, Goyer has confirmed, I believe, that Demerzel is Daniil. Yeah. And so there's plenty of story behind that. Oh, yeah. But is Demerzel... I guess my question is, what is Demerzel's agenda? What have we seen of Demerzel? Is it what's best for humanity is it to restart the robot wars or to bring back robots is it her love for cleon i mean I, I i'm just you know she's back now at the end of the season she's back in charge she has the prime radiant she has a whole new set of cleons but why what is she trying to accomplish well is she capable of having a a, a goal of her own based on that the reprogram theme yeah that see that's that's my day. that's my take on it is that like whatever her original goal might have been back in the robot wars now she's just stuck guarding this genetic dynasty well my theory on demerzel is that yes on one strain or one storyline she is stuck she's still got that thing in the back of her neck that is forcing her to follow cleon's plan but there's a lot of evidence that Demerzel has been plotting around that, mm -hmm. that maybe she did have some relationship with Harry. Maybe psychohistory is partly Demerzel's baby. We don't know. Maybe she did bring down the, the star bridge. Maybe she was responsible for the genetic differences in the Cleons in some way. Like there's a lot of threads where we don't have confirmation, right? You know, we, we see her singing to the baby and we see her singing to brother darkness, you know, in, in the same way and, and postulate that she's manipulating them. Now they haven't been explicit about any of these things. Oh, and also there's the luminism and the mm -hmm. possibility that she yeah. may have been there at the beginning of luminism. And, and maybe the tripartite God has something to do with her. Maybe she's one mm -hmm. of them. Maybe she's the mother. All of these threads that have been kind of set up, but none of them have been paid off, which, which indicate to me, when I put all those threads together, I think Demerzel is struggling against her programming and trying to build something else. Yeah, I think that, I, yeah, I think that's right. And I think ultimately, and if we get the full eight season run, I think it actually has to be that at some point that programming that Cleon put in place gets removed and then 
she's probably on the foundation side from that point forward shortening the darkness shortening the you know shortening the genetic dynasty because if harry you know at the end of um at, at the end of season one harry said explicitly the genetic dynasty will lead to extinction hmm. because there's only room for one story i think is the way that he he said it right that was at the end of season one right yeah at the end of season one but i mean that's huge right that that's yeah. that that that's not just we're gonna shorten the darkness by a few tens of thousand years I was intrigued by the way they played that scene with Demerzel and the Nucleons hmm. because at least the music that was backing that scene indicated something very sinister was going on. And when Demerzel said, well, I have this new tool and she opens up the prime radiant, you know, the music continued to play that kind of sinister tone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we know that Harry attempted to give the prime radiant to Cleon and to Demerzel. So that was strange to me because it seemed like, well, that's happening the way Vault Harry wanted it to happen. And yet it's being played as something sinister. So I, I was confused by that. Well, that might've been on purpose. To confuse me. Uh, all of us. Right? David Goyer was specifically trying to confuse me. Well, damn it, it worked. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, he's done it before. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and I know he wakes up in the morning and goes to bed at night thinking of me and, and my confusion, so. <laughs> that rat bastard <laughs> there you go <laughs> does, does that final scene of her opening up the prime radiant and being like fascinating um does that preclude okay you both have put in now the the, the phrases <laughs> that before we started recording you said you were going to put in i just want to acknowledge that <laughs> well it's okay to once in a while plan for a podcast that's right <laughs> you don't have to do it off the cuff 100 percent of the time but okay so does that preclude the possibility that she was kind of in on it with harry from the beginning no it doesn't preclude it yeah not at does all it, does it does it lessen it at all like i mean if she's if she's honestly just seeing this for the first time and then saying, I don't quite understand this, but I'll, I will, right? Y you would think that if she had been working with Harry to develop psychohistory the whole time, unless she's just lying to these barely conscious Cleons, wh why, why wouldn't she know? Interestingly enough, they had the Prime Radiant in their possession in season one. Yeah. When they arrest Harry, they take the Prime Radiant. Gerald gives it to Gail so that she can try to look at it yeah. and she gives it back and somehow harry gets it back i guess at the end of the trial when they send them off to terminus they give him the prime radiant back but demersel actually had it then i i so my apologist's answer to all this is that even if demersel was involved in the beginnings of psychohistory she was not necessarily involved in the creation of the prime radiant right and that harry gave it to the empire when he felt they were ready for it, when the time was right. And that time was not day one of the foundation when they were first being exiled to Terminus. But by now, several couple of hundred years later, Voltari has decided now I want the empire to have this and gives well, it to them. Yeah. And if we presuppose that, that, there is a relationship between Demerzel and Harry. And there, there's no, there, there's really no reason to think that there wasn't, although we haven't seen it yet. It could have been the plan all along that she would have this eventually. Yeah. But, you know, the, the denial, you know, the, the denials, no, absolutely. We can't give that to the empire would be the, would be the game you'd have to play in order for that to be convincing. I mean, we know that Harry was under the surveillance of the empire from the flashback. Right. They were at least aware of him. I mean, Gerald was like their top spy. Presumably Demerzel would have been, she, he would have been reporting directly to Demerzel. So Demerzel would have been aware of Harry from a very early time. Now in the prequels, we know that Harry is basically, basically becomes like the prime minister of, of the empire. That storyline, at least so far, I'm glad to say they have not pursued and I right. hope they don't. Yeah, but I mean, there, there's the space for Cheddar Hummond though. Well, so yes. And and I believe Goyer has been asked about that. I'm not sure if he answered it directly, but yes, there is space for Cheddar Hummin. And um, I I'm sad we didn't. You know, you you were you brought up Doors. We didn't see Doors. I was sad we didn't see Cheddar Hummin. But maybe there's room to see Cheddar in a future flashback, which would then establish the relationship between Harry and Demerzel. 
Yeah, and honestly, if you, I mean, now now that I'm I'm like thinking along these lines, right? The best way to have a secret is for nobody even to suspect that you have a secret, and hardly anyone knows that Demerzel is a robot, right? Which means that she has a far greater ability to change her appearance than certainly a human. That's true. Although Cleon said that the programming that he gave her meant she couldn't migrate her consciousness out of that body. That doesn't mean that she couldn't make some serious changes to it. Right. Um, we certainly saw half her head sliced off. We've seen her, you know, she repaired that. Certainly she could, while staying in the same body, she could probably change the, uh, uh, the presented gender of that body yeah. if she wanted. Yeah. I think considerably. I mean, all of that seems external, right? The face, she, she tore off her face yeah. at the end I mean, of season that's... one, but she had repaired it by season two. Yeah, I keep using the phrase desk, or yeah, desktop theme. Desktop theme, right, exactly. Yeah, so she but, could but still no... do that even while being prevented from migrating herself completely out of the Demerzel body. Yeah, and it would never, never even occur to anybody that um, she had a secret, that she had this other identity. Now, our good friend Morgan, who has been a guest on our show a couple of times, wrote a short story, which I read, in which she postulates a split of Daniil into multiple uh, individuals, hmm. which would also allow then, I guess, in the future for one of those to be Demerzel, one of those to be Cheddar Humman, another one to be Daniil still. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously that is not canon, but it's an interesting idea. And so that, that would have taken place before taking on the Demerzel personality. And so then the Demerzel personality locked into that body would only be one part of Daniil. Right. So it's a fascinating idea. And it's a, it's a fun little story if you have a chance to read it. Yeah. Is there, um, I will provide a link later. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm just thinking about the, the, the prequels in particular. And I, it, it's not clear to me that there's anything that directly contradicts that, that Cheddar and Demerzel or Demerzel, um, because I use that pronunciation when I think about the book. You and Paul Levinson, too, uses yeah. Demerzel. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably nothing in the books that contradicts them being in different bodies. Well, the only thing is that the mayor of whatever that city is, mm -hmm. when, when Cheddar shows up and Harry says, oh, it's my friend Cheddar, she says, are you an idiot? That's Demerzel. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I'd forgotten about that. Although, you know, again, just because they look the same doesn't mean that they're the same person. But I guess there's an implication that they're the same. They're, in fact, the same person. It's really hard yeah. to reconcile those books with this yeah. show. The idea that Demerzel has been locked into that body first for 5,000 years in a prison cell and then for the last hundred and whatever, or well, 600, actually, for the last 600 and something, 610, I guess they say, has been locked into it by that programming. I mean, it's very, very difficult then to say, oh, well, we can reconcile that with the prequels. Fair enough. And, you know, I, I think sometimes there are some decisions you make in a TV show where you just go, you know, this is going to be better. We, we, we need to do it this way. So we give her a Beatles wig and say, I'm Cheddar Humming. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see Laura Byrne in a male role. I think that would be great. Have, you know, not not use a different actor for Cheddar. Let's let's right. see. Yeah, like, yeah. You see Tilda Swinton do that. Mm -hmm. it might not be as easy for Laura Byrne, but I'd I'd like to see her take a crack at it. I bet she could pull it off. I bet I bet she could. Yeah. So for those of you out there, David Goyer and those people contemplating Cheddar Hummond, we want to see Laura Byrne in that role, not yeah. some an, a, other actor. I'll do it. If Laura like if Laura isn't available, you know, you look like a Cheddar Hummond. You could, yeah. you could pass for cheddar. I, I look like a lot of cheddar. <laughs> <laughs> you don't quite quite have the cheddar colored spray tan. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think that we want to call upon any ex-presidents to be on this, uh, on this show. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Be, be too busy, uh, you know, in the prison yard. Anyway, can I just say that I really... Uh, enjoyed my rewatch seeing how all of the visual cues were developed slowly and in advance of where their their payoffs that is there's there's an enormous amount of detail 
obviously given to the visual world it's beautiful there's a lot of design the costumes the 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 backgrounds and so on but but also just like the way that the visual elements are used to tell a story there's a lot of little signals that are dropped right that have little payoffs later and you don't even realize it on a first watch through but when i rewatched i saw all these things well can like you give for, us a, an example sure i'll give you a couple like for instance like uh in the scene in the assassination scene the blind idols come in slice up Demerzel's head and all that um so we get like uh, some 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 fisticuffs we get some shooting there's just a few very short shot for maybe you know half a second lingering on the bullet hole that mm-hmm. it leaves in the wall and that we then come back to right when, right when uh when sarath is coming and, and investigating and taking her look around um or again like early on when we during the scene between demerzel and cleon of day when they're talking about when she's proposing to bring back bell rios and he gets mad he starts playing with the paint on the wall he does yeah in a really interesting way that didn't suggest anything at the time but then having seen the later right episode of uh of dust going through the wall by right. playing with the there's paint. one thing about that i wanted to bring up by the way sure, go ahead we talked about where dusk got the paint from right so i just recently rewatched the the episode yeah. And it's true that when he goes to try to pry up the floor, he already has the green paint on yeah. his fingers. Yeah. So if we postulate that he, in fact, got the green paint from the wall, mm-hmm. well, where was their green paint? It was on the stripe on the neck of the mm-hmm. robot. Yeah. And that's where he got the green paint that he then put yeah. on the neck of the robot. <laughs> nice. Right. right. So it's the same. Absolutely. Green paint. Yeah. That. I mean, that's a that's a great. Uh, catch and yeah i mean that is he had to push on that stripe to get in uh so it you know it just it it works narratively but also works thematically that there's that nice nice touch yeah. at the end reusing that no i think you're right there is a lot of that kind of stuff that's clearly planned they you know yeah the, things like when day is, conf- is confronted by sarath he's on that same bench Mm-hmm. in the garden that he was on when he did that punishment that he may or may not have done to Azura. Right. There's a, there is an, an awful lot of that kind of stuff. You're, you're right. That's just, it's detail that they don't. I mean, I have accused this show sometimes of being obvious, like making close-ups take up the entire screen. So, you know, right. in case you didn't notice we were doing this, but there's a lot of stuff that's just, you know, it's kind of just there in the background. And if you see it, you see it. And if you don't, yeah. you don't. And I love that kind of stuff. And I love when the creators give the audience enough credit mm-hmm. that they say, well, we're putting that out there for you. We don't have to bring your attention to it, but like it's there for you if you if you want to see it. Right. Yeah, that's nice. It is it is can be particularly annoying when the the show will then turn around and point at something like you should have noticed this. Yeah. It is, it is yeah, it, yeah it is much more satisfying when you just notice it and they don't or particularly when it's like an easter egg or a joke just do it and go on yeah you know i, I think I there's there's you know i feel like it's one thing that good tv does better now with the knowledge that there's a million people with podcasts and internet commenting reddit threads and whatever going out there to, watch to share things, you can do the zep Ruder treatment to any right. episode yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I'm glad that this is the show is making the most out of the medium where it is, given given the state of the technology and the the way people are watching now. And it's really it is it does pay repay a rewatch. Nice. Sure. Well, let's talk about I mean, I think tied up with all of these great performances is are, are the Harry Awards. The Harry and Awards. We have had so many great performances. And we want to recognize some of them. And so we have loosely talked about some of the categories that we want to have. And a lot of them are related to the acting performances of which, again, we've had just so many good ones. You know, one of the, before we even talk about the Harry Awards, I mean, I I have been so taken with Ben Daniels and his performance as Belle Rios. Uh, 
even though the Bel Rio story in the end didn't end the same way that it did in the books. And we were all kind of hoping that it would be the vindication of psychohistory. And in the end, I think it actually was. It, it, actually, that story was predetermined that the foundation was going to win that war. And so in some ways it was the culmination, but, but his character was such a great character oh, yeah, and 100%. His, his performances were so great. And he ran an emotional gamut from hardened soldier or well, really started as like prisoner, hopeless prisoner in a, in a penal colony. And then, and then, you know, just hardened soldier, emotional husband, back and forth through all of these things he never turned into a dogmatic kind of well i'm just i don't know i i just i just loved every scene he was in right up to the end yeah and he was he was just perpetually kind and i say so the, the the one thing that you said there that that i want to take issue with is it a hopeless prisoner well okay because he, because even in that first 40 seconds he's not hopeless he's right. standing up for people and he's he's you know asserting himself and trying to do good he's, he's in a hopeless situation fair enough he's not hopeless you're right although of course it turns out not to be a hopeless situation right. and the, the idea at the end where you know he says that glowen glaywin knew that they were doomed from the beginning and indeed they were except glaywin survives in a moment of in a moment of tremendous irony he is he is there on the in the vault that was very sad as I, I know you mentioned that joanne cried when she saw that scene yeah, I, I want. I hope we get a little bit more of Glaywin's story. I think that what I have heard about season three is that there is another big time jump. Like there was a hundred thirty-eight right. year time yeah. jump right. between season one and season two. There's going to be a hundred fifty-two year time jump. Mm -hmm. But he sure. also said there's going to be a lot of flashbacks. Now, does that mean there's room for Glaywin in the flashbacks? I don't know. Right. But I think the basic idea is we're moving forward to the mules time in season mm -hmm. three. That's too bad. It's a good character huge welsh accent <laughs> i actually kind of love the fact that we're you know twenty thousand years in the future and we still have you know, like polly's kind of south asian accent and 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 glaywin who is clearly welsh i mean the actor is welsh and and uh and bel rios has his accent like <laughs> they still have those kind of regional earth accents despite being 20,000 years in the future. And I know the usual sci-fi explanation for that is that, well, we're actually just kind of mapping onto the future regional differences that would really be there. And yes, one of them appears as East London. One of them appears as North England. One of them is American, like the Cleons kind of have American accents, you know, like, <laughs> and they're not really supposed to be that. They're just supposed to be, you know, something oh. else that would be there in the future. But I still oh, love Oh, they're them. American. Come on. Saturday <laughs> is totally American. <laughs> Are there any Canadian characters in Foundation? That's the, the key question. Uh that's a good question. I think Brother Constant is very well, there you go. That was, was, was very say, Canadian. Yeah. I was like thinking who who's who's nice? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Canadians are you know, they only pretend to be nice. They're not really nice. Fuck you, John. <laughs> <laughs> you rat bastard. <laughs> Put them on ice and see what happens to them. You know, they're not so nice anymore. <laughs> you know, that's going to get us flagged as having, uh, you're just going to get an E next to our podcast. Uh oh. Like yeah. I e. should, uh, well, I should. Yeah. Cause I, I mark those things in it and I, 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 ponder whether we've gone too far rather than so it's you we... who decides that yeah oh all right well it's up to well you. so i mean it, it, fair enough <laughs> <laughs> well i mean there, there's you know there's there's occasional uses of obscenity and, mm. and meh, but yeah sometimes i just well because at some point if we get flagged for it then we can cut all this out but at some point if we get flagged for it then everything in our podcast will get flagged for it we're grown-ups here and so are our audience they've heard these words before Oh yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about the Harry Awards. Do, yeah. do, do we have any? Sure. I mean, I have my thoughts, but I don't want to impose them on anybody. We can, we can talk about them. I think yeah, we should we'll impose. Let... So, so, okay. So, so what I've done is I've basically split the, the actor categories into three categories. There's primary, secondary, and tertiary. And, and, you know, one of the things I've said about this show many times is how even the, kind of third stringers, the tertiary characters 
are just really well-developed and really well-performed. People like Rowan from season one, Farah's number two, who I would consider a tertiary char a character because he really only exists as an adjunct to Farah, who is herself what I would call a secondary character because although she's kind of a main character, she's not one of the main characters who kind of spans all of the years. So I've, I've gone backwards through it. The primary characters for me are the characters who are basically there throughout. They're the ones who are being carried into the future. People like Harry, Gail, even Salvor, although Salvor apparently has died at the end of season two and also been given the Viking funeral and you know, burned. The, the three Cleons, Dawn, Day, and Dusk, and of course, Demerzel. I, I put Cleon the first into the secondary category, and I think we can argue that. Maybe Cleon the first, because Cleon the first isn't really a character. Cleon the first is a hologram who's sort of a memory. I, although Harry... Harry in some of his incarnations is also a hologram. So, yeah, I mean, and I think that's and I think that's the open question with Cleon the First right now is is does Cleon the First have agency? Is he active? Is he the fortune telling machine, or is he actually a, a fully realized AI? Who's yeah. So for now, I would leave him in the secondary. I would too. But... And the secondary characters are characters who are main characters in the story, but who really are only kind of temporary because they're only there for the season. So. The people that I put in that category are Polly and Constant, Ober Mallow, Queen Sarath and Rue, Tellum Bond, um, as I said, Cleon the First, and people like Seth Cermak. And Cermak is kind of borderline between secondary and tertiary. I, I put him in the secondary category because he's kind of the top person on Terminus. Other people on Terminus, so I refer to as the Terminus crew around Cermak, I put in as tertiary characters. So other tertiary characters, Glewin, who, you know, has almost as big a role as Bell Rios does. And by the way, Bell is a secondary character. The reason I put Glewin as tertiary and not secondary is that he really only exists to be Bell Rios's husband. He doesn't really have his own story, but it's debatable. But for now, Glewin is a, a tertiary character. Uh, Josiah, who is one of the mentalics, Laron, another mentalic, Kale, who is the mathematician who appears in the in the Prime Radiant and also gives Harry his new body somehow. Yana, Harry's wife, Becky, <laughs> the Bishop's Claw, uh, the Prime Radiant itself, Markley, the soldier that Queen Sarath uses to get information, Sarath's servants. I also included um, Harry's wig as a tertiary character. <laughs> Really deserving of some kind of an award. So we've got three different actor categories, depending on which level they're at. And again, again, you know, I, I don't mean to say that tertiary characters even are unimportant. They're some of the best characters in the show, and they are not left out of the the good writing and the good performances. I mean, you know, like Glewin is a great character mm -hmm. who really humanizes Bel Rios, who acts as his conscience in some ways. He's utterly essential, really. He is essential. He is essential to the story. So I don't mean to denigrate anyone by putting them in, in any category or other category. I really wanted to create multiple categories so that we could recognize as many of these performances as possible. Because I, I really think whether we want to talk about overwhelming themes and, and all that, this show is good because these performances are great, in my opinion. So those are the three acting categories. Um, then there's some obvious ones like best director. We have some multiple directors here who've done some great things. I know we all are always raving about Roxanne Dawson. Alex Graves is another one. Mark Tandurai, I think is the name, um, who I believe directed episode seven of this season, who has directed a few episodes. David Goyer himself has directed a number of episodes. And we've really noticed, you know, the, the good direction. And, and Seven was big. It, that, that was, um, that was the big turning point in the season. I agree. And then, of course, there's best episode, other categories that I've thrown out there. Who knows what we'll, we'll finally settle on. Top moment of levity. Best Harry, because there's a lot of Harrys. Yes. You know, there's, I guess okay. we don't get original Harry, but we get Vault Harry. There's Hologram Harry, who then turns into Flesh and Blood Harry. And then there's Flashback Harry. There's Flashback Harry. There's Baby Harry. There's a lot of Harrys. That's right. And of course, the same applies to the Cleons, best Cleon. Yeah. We, we have our three main Cleons, but we also have Cleon the first and and various um, flashback Cleons. And mm -hmm. and uh, and so there's room to kind of talk about who's the best Cleon. I mean, certainly Brother Day gets the most screen time. Mm -hmm. 
One of the things about the Cleons that I, I want to bring up is that I have to admit I have a little bit of trouble, although we've seen it happen over and over again, I have a little bit of trouble associating Brother Dawn with Future Brother Day and Brother Day with Future Brother Dusk. Like they're, mm -hmm. the personalities of the Brother Dusks seem somewhat contiguous with each other over time. Mm -hmm. And the same with the Brother Days and the Brother Dawns. So I don't have any problem saying, okay, this Brother Dawn has some of the characteristics, but not all of them of the previous Brother Dawn and, and, and so forth. I have a little bit of trouble seeing, like when does Brother Dawn become Brother Day? Like I, I don't see those transitions. I was wondering what you guys think about that. Mm, this is interesting. I mean, certainly I'm, you know, just thinking of myself, I'm not the same person that I was 40 years ago or 20 years ago. I mean, significantly. So, mm -hmm. I mean, may, maybe that's the, maybe that's the thread. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think part of it is just the artifact, a far artifact of what we're dealing with in terms of, you know, we have three main actors at these ages and we can't, get like the in-between ages and see where they're developing their personalities at the, those points but uh, they you tend know, to tie them together with superficial things like the way they snapped them yeah after. like when the new pickles came out they all took the same steps and forward and we, we had that we had that like movement coach at the beginning of the season <laughs> because of the genetic <laughs> just because right. of the genetic differences yeah yeah yeah, yeah so i i just had a little i i I mean, I don't, it's not a, a deal killer for me. I still love the, the, yeah. the triple emperor. I just, I just have a heart. Like, like every brother dusk is kind of the, is kind of the super ego of the trio. You know, he's, he's always kind of <laughs> saying, Hey, we did this wrong. And, right. you know, think about this and think about that. Like it's, that's consistent through all the brother dusks. Mm -hmm. So is, is the brother Don like the, the id just like having no judgment whatsoever and just running off with strange girls all the time. I think the analogy to the Freudian categories falls down. Okay. I, mean, I think brother Don <laughs> does, he is naive and he is easily duped, particularly by women. Yeah. But I don't think he's the id because I think Brother yeah. Day is too much id. Yeah, he's he's got plenty of id of his own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're all they're all arrogant. Yeah, yeah. They're all very bad at self reflection. That is certainly consistent among all of them. They all are absolutely head over heels in love with Demerzel, mm. and consider her their mother, their girlfriend. Like, I mean, just she's their world. Mm. But I just have a little bit of trouble like translating Dawn into I mean, they actually mention it. Like Sarath is talking to Dawn about, could you have killed my family? And he says, no, but I'm worried that I could turn into that person. Right. Knowing right. that, in fact, he always has. Dawn mm -hmm. has always become Day in the past. So he he's smart at least to recognize the fact mm -hmm. that it's likely in the normal course of events that he will become just like Brother Day. Mm -hmm. So they yeah. address it a little bit. Yeah, and we did have in in uh, that one episode, you know, where we got the ex extended view of the Cleons in the beginning. I think it was episode three or four in the first season. We did have a we did have a Terrence Mann brother Day, and a a Lee Pace brother Dawn. Yes, we did, and of course, this season we had the flashback to him meeting and joining Rue for the first time, mm -hmm. and so they used the younger actress actress for Rue, but then they used Lee Pace for brother day of that time who was of course now brother dusk so they did try to link them that way and i have to admit i had a hard time seeing that brother day as the same as that brother dusk like it still didn't quite get there for me yeah well it's tricky with different actors yeah absolutely i mean i think it's it's been amazing considering that that was not in the book at all and cleon was barely a character in, in any of the books to have come up with this idea and and to have really carried it through so well. Um, you know, as Paul Levinson has has said, you know, he so much prefers those scenes on Trantor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've said we'd watch a show that was just Cleons and Demerzel, you know, just the just them. Um, and and a lot of the best scenes and most interesting scenes of the various episodes have been them. You know, it, yeah. it's true that the other locales picked up a little bit over time. But that story was, was the best part of the story, at least early in the season. Yeah, very much. Well, which also loops us back to the, could this thing stand on its own without the, um, without the Asimov content? And well, what you just said, maybe it could. Well, yeah, but of course, one of the big things about that triple emperor 
again, is the question of personhood and freedom. You know, are, are, do they have a soul? Is it one soul between the three of them? I mean, is, is there even such a thing as a soul? But like a lot of those elements of the theme are tied up in, in the Cleons. You know, they, they have edited memories and Brother Dusk gets very upset about that. So there, all of those questions are, are embodied by the triple Cleon. And, you know, the, the predictability of Brother Day, you know, that, that Hober Mallow is taunting him about that, even as Brother Day is beating the crap out of him. You know, he's just like talking about how predictable he is. So what, how are we going to let our hundreds of listeners in on the voting, Joseph? Well, let's do a, do a couple of things, you know, because we're going to, we've talked about it, we're going to narrow it down this year to a smallish list of nominees for each category. Maybe we come up with the categories pretty quickly if, if people want to talk about who was good for each category. We could, uh, you know, they, they could just comment on the website or on, on social media. We're in a bunch of different places now. Um, and well, then, we should probably present them with a short list. You know, it's okay. We're we're taking the voting on our short list, maybe. Okay. Maybe you're, you're well, thinking. Well, I was, I was saying, I was, I, well, I was th- no, I was thinking just for the moment. That, okay, so let's next weekend. Yeah. Get all the short, you know, get the short lists out and then start voting. But if people want to comment about who would be good nominees in the meantime, why not? Maybe we throw we throw out the categories within the next couple of days. If people want to, they can talk about who was good for both both categories. A week from now, we settle on lists of nominees that people can vote on. Okay. And then we we run the polls for a, a roughly a week. Well, then I think we've we've reached the end, unless there's anything else that you guys want to talk about. And in two weeks, we will be back with the Harry Awards. Anyways. And in the in the interim, we will be putting out various posts and places to go to make comments and vote. Make your voice heard. Participate in the podcast, please. And with that, I think I'm going to say goodnight. Well, that brings this week's episode to a close. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and give us a like and a positive review on your favorite platform. You can also visit our website at starsendpodcast.wordpress.com, where there's always additional content. Our music, used by a Creative Commons license, is It Is Coming by Alex Mason. Also, follow us on Twitter, at Stars End Podcast. Goodbye for now from the galactic capital of Trantor. This is where the stars end. <laughs>